Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 1, verses 1 through 12. Acts 1, 1 through 12. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this comment, this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set up by his own authority. Will you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky, and he was going, where he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. May God bless his holy word. Bishop Randy serves as the 15th bishop of the Evangelical Congregational Church. Prior to being elected bishop, he served as the executive director of Global Ministries, overseeing mission workers and the development of international churches in Japan, India, Nepal, Mexico, Liberia, and Costa Rica. In this context, he has organized leadership, development opportunities, and has preached in many countries in various venues. Closer to home, Randy has been involved in local church and pastry, church planning, mergers of congregations, building projects, and relocations. Bishop Randy and Carla have been married over 35 years and have devoted their lives to serve God's church together in many ways as possible. Randy and Carla currently live in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and enjoy walking, bicycling, disc golf, and sharing their lives with others. Their son Caleb and his wife Kate live near Seattle, Washington, and their daughter Leah lives and teaches school in a remote village of New Suahook. In Alaska. <laughs> so I got out of that one. So that means I'd like to introduce Bishop Randy Samuels. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Thanks for the invites. And I do want to bring greetings from your brothers and sisters in the EC Church in the United States and around the world. So think about 60 to 70,000 people are gathered together worshiping God, different time zones, of course. Some countries are smart enough not to mess with their clocks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
together this, this movement that we call the Evangelical Congregational Church. So I do want to say thank you to Pastor Cam and Jessica for your leadership here and the leaders from this meeting, uh, for being Christ, knowing him, making him known right here where you live. And that's really what it's, what it's really all about. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is from Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bible, keep it open. We're going to, we're going to look at that a little bit. Now, when God called me into the office of bishop, I asked God a question. I think you're asking God the same question, and, and he gave me an answer. But it has to begin with a story, of course. It won't be Humpty Dumpty, but hopefully it'll be just as good. Um, so have you heard the story about the balloon and the basket and the boy and the, and the brave woman? Have you heard that? Would you like to hear that? Yeah, good answer. You haven't trained. So the story goes like this. A lady goes to a, a county fair, and there's a hot air balloon that's tethered to the ground. And of course, it's big and it's bright. It's beautiful. So it gets her attention. Now, what really gets her attention is there's a little boy, maybe like the size of one of the ones that were up here, a little boy who's making a beeline for this balloon, but he doesn't have any parents with him. No parents, no grandparents, no supervision. And so this woman is watching, thinking, as most moms would, this is not going to end well. So as the boy gets to the balloon, she's right. He scrambles into the basket, inadvertently like knocks the, the tether that holds it to the ground. The balloon starts to rise to the ground. So this brave woman runs with all of her might, grabs the rope, thinking that her weight would hold the balloon down. Well, it doesn't. And as her feet are leaving the ground and she's holding on to the rope with that boy in the basket, she finds herself in a position where she's asking her herself, now what do I do? In Acts chapter 1, and I know we're a little bit beyond the Christian calendar, it's the third week of Lent, but we're skipping ahead a little bit to the ascension. In Acts chapter 1, the same question is being asked. Maybe you didn't hear it in the reading, but I'm going to try to tease it out for you. And, and you heard the reading, so let me just try to put some pictures to this reading. Acts chapter 1 tells us that maybe it's a beautiful day, and Jesus and his disciples are walking out of Jerusalem, and they're walking out of Jerusalem as winners. Remember, now Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He gave many convincing proofs he was alive. And these guys are walking out with Jesus, thanking themselves and God Almighty that they actually believe what Jesus had said like three years ago. Remember, three years ago, this guy shows up and says, hey, you guys come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You guys, you know, give up your life and follow me because I am God. And I am more powerful than any force on this earth. And by faith, they believed Jesus and they started following him. Well, now he's proved it, right? He was on the cross, he was buried. The third day, he rose from the dead. He gave many convincing proofs he's alive. So these guys are like walking out of out of Jerusalem, you know, kind of like, should I say it, or is it still too fresh? Kind of like the, the Kansas City Chiefs walking out of the... They're walking out of Jerusalem singing, We are the champions, my friends. And as they're walking out, it gets better. Did you hear... What Jesus said to them, look at your Bible. Jesus says as they're walking out, hey, you guys, I want you to stay in Jerusalem because my Father is going to give you that thing I promised. And that thing is the Spirit of God. So in essence, Jesus says to these guys, the same Holy Spirit that raised me from the dead 
is now going to live inside of you. And they're trying to grapple with this. And they're thinking, wow, this is pretty big. This is pretty powerful. And then Jesus goes on to say something else. He says, by the way, when the Spirit comes in you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And they're probably thinking as they're walking out, we had no idea this thing is going to be so big. This, this thing Jesus is calling us to be a part of is going to be so big, it's going to reach to the ends of the earth. And probably like us, they're thinking to themselves, man, this is... This is pretty cool. I'm going to be a big shot. I, I probably need a Facebook page, right? I need, a, I need to get business cards. This is going to be really cool. And as they're thinking about this thing, which we now call the church, how big it's going to be, how powerful it's going to be, how extensive it's going to be, their place in all this, what happens to Jesus? What happens to Jesus? Did you, did you hear what happened? As they're walking and talking, Jesus is at eye level. And then he starts to rise. Now, I don't know how this works, but the Bible says it, so I believe it. The Bible says that Jesus ascended. So as they're walking and talking about their future with Jesus and all these grand plans, at one minute, Jesus is there. And the next minute, they're watching the soles of his feet go through the clouds. And so the Bible says very plainly that they're standing there looking into the sky. Now, I don't have pictures in my Bible, so you can picture it however you want. Here's how I picture these guys. They're standing there, you know, with their hands in their pockets. Well, they probably didn't have pockets, but let's just pretend they had pockets. So they're standing there with their hands in their pockets, and their heads are tipped back, and they're watching Jesus go, and there's this awkward silence, and they're like, huh, what do we do now? Is that not the question the Church of Jesus Christ is asking? If I could draw a picture, an illustration of the Church of Jesus Christ in 2023, it would be God's people kind of standing around with their hands in their pockets, looking into the sky going, huh, what do we do now? Now, aren't you glad God sent those two messengers down and said, hey guys, you can't stand here looking into the sky. This same Jesus that you saw going away is going to come back again? Because who knows how long they would have stood there. They are men. Right? So, you know, it could have been a long time. It could have been like supper time, and some mom's like, hey, where's your father? Supper's on the table. I don't know, he's probably standing out in the field looking in the sky. I have no idea. You can't just stand here waiting for Jesus to come back. What are we supposed to do? Now, here's the verse that's captured my attention. Verse 12. Verse 12 simply says, they returned to Jerusalem. Can't stand here waiting for Jesus to come back. They return to Jerusalem. Now think about that with me for a second. What returning to Jerusalem means. Why would they want to return to Jerusalem? They just escaped Jerusalem. Right? You, you have to understand what Jerusalem means to these men. Jerusalem is the chaos of the crucifixion. That's where their Savior was mistreated. And actually brutally killed on the cross. Jerusalem is that place where there's corrupt religious leaders and corrupt political leaders, and sometimes you can't tell them apart. <laughs> Jerusalem is that place where the religious leaders are standing in front of people on a regular basis, and they're taking the word of God, and they're twisting it to make it say whatever they want. Jerusalem is that place where, where people are divided. They're divided by economics, they're divided by education, they're divided by ethnicity, they're divided by politics, they're divided by religion, they're, they're divided by gender. 
There's a theological word for what's going on in Jerusalem, and it's called a hot mess. And God says to these people, like, hey, just go back to Jerusalem. Now, you don't have to answer this, but how many of you in the last, like, three years, let's say, remember at the height of the craziness in our country? So we had COVID, we had a presidential election, we had a riot at the Capitol, we had whatever, whatever, whatever. How many of you said what I said to my wife? If I was independently wealthy, I would buy a private island, and I would take Carla, and none of you people, (laughs) and we would go there and wait for Jesus to come back. Doesn't that sound like a great plan? But the messenger from God says, hey, you can't stand here waiting for Jesus to come back. You've got to go back to Jerusalem. If you're asking the question, what do we do now? The answer, church, is this. Go back to Jerusalem. Go back to your culture. Go back to your family. Go back to your community. Go back to your place of work. Go back to your school. Go back to your sports team. Go back to this hot mess that we call living in America in 2023. You have to go back there. Why? Because those are the people that Jesus died for. What did he say when they were nailing him to the cross? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. We've got to go back. What do we do, church, in 2023? We return to Jerusalem. Now, let's talk about what that looks like. As we return to Jerusalem, we've got to look a little different than when we came out. I have to believe that these men who had spent three years with Jesus were, were much different than they were when they started, right? We know that by reading the scripture. These men had a, their own personal resurrection experience. So they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They were what Jesus called born again. They were changed spiritually from the inside out to be brand new creations, just like you and I are once we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so when we go back to our Jerusalem, back to our cultures, we can't go back the way we came out. We have to go back as the people of God. And I really believe that what we as the church in the United States need to understand is the call to be the people of God. Listen to this quote. This is from a book called, called to be the church. The consistent witness of scripture is that God's intention is to form a people, a community, a visible body, beginning with Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis and continuing to Paul's letters in the book of the Revelation, God means to have a people who will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. So God's choice is not to use the angels, not to have the Canadian geese spell out John 3.16 when they fly across the sky. God's choice is to use people because the gospel was person to person and life to life. And he chooses to use us, his people, the people who have experienced their own resurrection in Jesus. He chooses us to go back to our Jerusalems to be his people in his positions for his purpose. Now we go back there because God is all about people. I know that what you're hearing in our culture is that God hates people. But if you have a Bible, you know different. You know God loves people. Have you thought about that? How many people's names are in your Bible? You know, the names you can pronounce and then the other ones you can't pronounce. I mean, the Bible is about people, is it not? It's stories of people. Of God working through normal, average 
some really messed up people. That's what God chooses to do. So he forms us into his people. Now, not just any kind of people. Different people, because remember, Jesus says, wait for the promise my Father gave you. The same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. So this morning, if somewhere in your life you realized you were a sinner, you confessed your sins, you invited Jesus Christ into your life, God's Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. And do you know what that makes you? It makes you supernatural. Think about that word, supernatural, above nature. God did not come from this planet. Jesus did not come from this planet. The Holy Spirit does not come from this planet. They actually created it. God's Spirit comes from outside this planet into us, making us supernatural. <clears throat> so really, you could look at your neighbors this morning and say, my, you're looking very supernatural today. And it would be true. We are the supernatural people of God. And God has given us supernatural gifts. If you read through the New Testament, like in the book of Ephesians, we are called, those who are called supernaturally called out of darkness to be the light. Those who once were the enemies of God, now we're the children of God. We're filled to the fullness of Christ. We're given spiritual gifts. All of this so that we can be God's people. When we go back to our Jerusalems, our Plymouth meetings, we go back as the people of God. Now what that means, what, what makes me excited about that is, this is God's plan, not a church plan. This is God's plan, not a politician's plan. This is God's plan, not a bishop's plan. This is God's plan, not any plan on this earth. So what that means is, we, church, can be God's people regardless of what happens on this planet. So think about that with me. Does it matter who is, who's elected president? No. I mean, we can still be God's people. Does it matter how much gasoline costs? No. We can still be God's people. Does it matter if you can't find a dozen eggs? Can you guys buy eggs here? <laughs> we can still be God's people. It doesn't matter which pandemic comes down the pike. It doesn't matter the craziness in the world in which we live. We are the supernatural people of God. Think about that. And God has called us together as his people. And he's put us in the middle of our Jerusalems, our families, our schools, our places of employment our communities, our churches, in order to be his people. Now, as his people, then, we have a job to do. And the job is pretty pretty simple. The job is to continue the gospel. If you have your Bible open, look with me at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know this verse. A lot of you memorize this verse. Jesus says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So when we go back to our Jerusalem as this supernatural people of God, our task, our number one task, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I know that word gospel is a big word. Kind of like love. You know what love is, but try to explain it, right? So the gospel is really the story of God redeeming his creation, and it begins at the beginning of your Bible, and it goes all the way to the end. That's that's the gospel. Now, the challenge is, if you want to share the gospel, you probably won't get your neighbor to stand still for five hours while you share the entire Bible, right? So Jesus did us a favor. Jesus condensed it down into like one or two sentences, and if you know them, 
You can say them with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I like verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the gospel. Now, for shop talk, we call it the good news. And it is good news, right? Here's the good news. There is this God who is pro-people. As a matter of fact, he, he is so in favor of people, he so loves people, that he is a come-down kind of God. This is a God who knows we're never going to get to him, so he comes to us. And he continues to come to us. He continues to come to every address on this planet to us. It would be interesting if we went around the room today and asked how you came to faith in Christ, because all of our testimonies would be slightly different. But there's one thing that we would all have in common, and that's this. You didn't begin your spiritual journey looking for God. God began looking for you. God is the initiator. He created the earth. He created us in his image. He sent his son for us. And he comes down to us. That's called good news. And he gave us this privilege of sharing this good news. Now think with me for a second if it was bad news. So let's say you had a neighbor and your neighbor's name is George. Any Georges in here? Just so I don't get in trouble. Okay, let's say your name's George. Your neighbor's name's George. You go to George. George, I got some news to share with you from God. Okay, what is it? Well, he doesn't like you. And there's nothing you can do to change his mind. So you might as well eat, drink, and be married because when you die, it just gets a lot worse. That's bad news, isn't it? Kind of sounds like what you read in the paper this morning. How about the good news? Hey, George, there's this God who loves you, who cares about you, who doesn't care what you're doing at the moment. He still loves you and cares about you. As a matter of fact, he comes to you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, here's where I want to just talk to us as a church for a little bit. So if you're not part of the church, you can ignore me for a second. If you're a born-again believer, if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, listen. Jesus says to these guys, you will be whose witnesses? What's the answer? My witnesses. Don't you find it interesting when these guys go back to Jerusalem? They, they don't use their opportunity to speak to tell about all their political opinions. They don't, they don't use their opportunity to speak to talk about how bad the world is and how bad other people are that don't look like them or act like them or live like them. They use their opportunity to speak <coughs> to tell those people in Jerusalem what they know about Jesus. So we have this opportunity, church, to go back to our Jerusalem and tell our world what we know about Jesus. Please. Don't use the opportunities God gives you to talk about politics. That's not going to do anything. Don't, don't use the opportunities God gives you to talk about how bad the world is and about this party and that party and, and this confusion and that confusion. Let's be his witnesses. Don't you think this world needs some good news? They don't need you to tell them any bad news. They already have enough bad news. Tell them the good news. Tell them about Jesus. Because it's this good news that has the power to change lives. We think this is so important, this idea of sharing the good news, that we put it in our name. I know it's a long name. I didn't have anything to do with forming it, but it's, 
evangelical congregational church. Evangelical, in that word evangelical, is, is the gospel, the good news. We're the people who tell other people that God loves them. We're the people that tell other people God loves them and has a plan for their life. We so much believe that it becomes a part of our own identity. You know why? Because it's only the gospel that has the power to change lives. Let me prove that to you. So if you have your Bible open, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 1, they go back to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. You, you know about that. The Spirit comes down. There's signs and wonders, and they're trying to figure out all what's going on. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and he delivers a message. And I'm not going to read the whole sermon to you, but we'll, we'll kind of go in, go in here at verse 36. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. The most hopeful part of any pastor's message is when he says, in conclusion, right? Well, I'm not saying in conclusion, but Peter is, verse 36. Peter says, verse 36, therefore, or in conclusion, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now you know a little bit about the day of Pentecost and, and the argument we still have to this day about speaking in tongues. We missed the point here. You know what the most phenomenal thing that happens on the day of Pentecost is? Peter, a regular guy, stands up and uses regular words, and all he does is share the gospel. And if you read his sermon, he's just sharing God's plan of redemption from the Old Testament. Nothing new here. He shares the old, old story, <clears throat> and somehow the Holy Spirit takes the words of one person and, and cuts to the heart of the person who is listening. Now imagine that. This gospel has the power to get through all the stuff we put on the outside to protect us from the world. You know, our titles and our reputations and all the stuff we put up so nobody can really know who we are. This gospel has the power to get to the heart of the heart of the hearts of those people. So they have to ask a question. Wow, what should I do? Now, I'm not saying every time you share the good news with your neighbor, they're going to go, wow, what should I do on the outside? But the Holy Spirit's job is to have them do that on the inside. The gospel has the power to change lives. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I would say that most of us are sitting here this morning because somewhere this same gospel struck our heart of hearts and we said, wow. What, what should I do? That's the gospel. So we go back to our Jerusalem as the supernatural people of God who continue the gospel, but we do that in a, in a very exciting way. We do that in the context of community. So if you turn one more page in Acts, you get to Acts chapter 4, <clears throat> and it's no accident that after this big conversion, Acts chapter 2, thousands of people respond to the gospel. And they become followers of Christ. One more page in your Bible, and now all these thousands of followers find themselves gathering together in community. That's God's plan. We don't serve Him alone. We serve Him in community. 
And then we get this wonderful description of a community in Acts chapter 4. If you, if you want to follow along, it all starts in verse 32. And it begins like this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, if you have supernatural people who have met the Lord Jesus Christ, when they gather together, shouldn't it be a little bit different than when other groups gather together? Shouldn't it be a little supernatural? Do you know what always amazes me? And now I get to see it more. When I was a pastor, I used to see it in my own congregation, but now I get to see it in everybody's congregation. Is What amazes me is you people actually like each other. Did you notice that this morning? I mean, I was sitting here and I heard the, I heard the noise growing, the volume grow. You guys came in and you, you smiled at each other, you shook each other's hands, you hugged each other, you talked to each other. You sit together like you actually like each other. I guarantee you there's more things in this room that divide us than unite us. Right? If we, if we had a survey about all of our opinions, about all the stuff, we would have more that divides us than unites us. What is it that brings us here? What is it that makes us want to be with other believers? Isn't it that we've all met Christ? We've all had our own personal resurrection. We're all following this Jesus. And he does something in our lives and makes us love other people. I don't understand it, but he does. We love people we don't even like, right? <laughs> you could say, amen, I know it's true. I've been a pastor for like 30 years. And I know sometimes you don't like your pastor. Sometimes the pastor doesn't like people. There's this amazing thing that happens in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit of God brings together a community. Because remember, God's plan is to form a community. Now, this community, if it's filled with supernatural people who know Christ, has to look completely different than any other community in, in, in the culture. And, and we get a little example of that or, or description of that. So if you follow through this passage, Acts chapter 4, it begins like this, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. And then it says, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. This is a community I call of open hands. When you meet Christ, something happens. You become, you become more concerned about other people than yourself. When you meet Christ, your hands automatically open. So when you hear about two young people going on a mission trip, you're starting to think, how much money do I have in my wallet? When you know somebody in your church congregation is having trouble, maybe they're having a little financial trouble, maybe they need to ride to the doctor, maybe they need help, you're, you're starting to think, how can I help them? God's people are people who have open hands. That's what this community is. It's, it's a community that opens, we open our hands, our resources. We don't think that we own anything. Now, I know it sounds funny, but it's true. You never see a U-Haul hooked to the back of a hearse, right? When you go to the cemetery and they put you in, you leave with nothing. All that you have right now, God has given to you. And as believers, we understand we just manage it for a while. It doesn't belong to me. So if God wants me to share, I'll share it. I'll share it with my people inside my church and the people inside my community. Open hands. It goes on and it talks about open voices. It says in verse 33, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much grace was upon them all. Notice that the apostles don't testify to the political positions of the day. Yeah, I, I'm kind of hitting that hard because I'm getting so tired of Christian Facebook posts. It's just terrible. 
They talked about Jesus. They talked about the resurrection. And I don't think it was just the apostles. Thousands of people have met Jesus. What do you think they're talking about when they're meeting with their neighbor? They're, they're talking about they're meeting with Jesus. We're, we're a church with open hands and open voices. We use our voices to talk about Jesus. I know you're thinking, well, wait, Randy, I can't do that. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Eh, baloney. Doesn't matter. Could you, as you're working with someone at the same factory, like for 10, 15 years, when, you, when you're going to school, you're on a sports team, when, when you know someone, could you not just say, here's what my life looked like before I met Jesus, here's how I met Jesus, and here's what my look, life looks like now since I met Jesus? You can do that. You might not even have to memorize any verses, although you do know one, because I gave you one. <laughs> That's it. They use their voices. So we have open hands, and we have open voices. And this church is a church with open eyes. Verse 34 is one of those verses that's amazing to me. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had needed. There were no needy persons among them because this church is a church with open eyes. So they're always on the lookout. God, what are you doing and how can I join you? God, who needs me? How can I join with you in your mission? What are you, what are you doing? Wouldn't it be great? Before you would swing your legs out of bed in the morning, you would just say, God, hey, whatever you're up to today, can I join you? If we were people with open eyes and we're just always observing, God, what are you doing? You know, I pastored small churches and large churches, and the difference really is this. In a large church, you take attendance by counting how many people are there. In a small church, you take attendance by counting how many people are missing, because you know them. And you're like, hey, Bob's not here, and Martha's not here. You know, you have open eyes. That's a supernatural community. We don't look at our own interests, as we read in Philippians, but to the interests of others. And finally... Open hearts. Now, this is the one you're not going to like, but I want to talk about it anyway. So, verse 34 and 35 says that they sold their houses and lands and put the money at the apostles' feet. And we read that and think that's nice. Well, would you think about that for a second? How much is your house worth? Would you sell it and bring the money and bring, bring it here on a Sunday morning? Now, before you tune me off, I'm not asking you to do that. Just so don't, don't tune me out. I'm asking you to think, why are they doing this? And what's behind this? You know, they, they probably didn't have banks. They, they probably didn't have Social Security. They didn't have a pension plan. So their houses and their lands were, was their security. This was their security for their future. This was their kids' college fund. And they sold their houses and lands. And they brought it and put it at the apostles' feet. Here's the way I like to think about this. These people joining this new church in this community were all in. They were not leaving the back door open. They were saying, you know what? I met Jesus. Jesus has transformed my life. And he's called me to join this group of believers. And so we're all in. We're not going to leave the back door open. You can count on us. We're here for the mission. We're, you, you have our time. You have our talent. You have our treasure. And, and we're, we're here. Kind of like what we do when we do church membership, and I see your pastor's going to be offering you church membership. Isn't it amazing 
when you become a member of a church, you actually stand in front of your brothers and sisters and you say, we're all in. I'm all in. I'm not going to sell my house and give you the money. That's ridiculous. But I'm here. I'm here and I believe in the mission here. And you can count on me. You can count on my financial support. You can count on me to, to give my, my gifts and graces to the ministry here. You can count on me to be present as often as I possibly can. And by the way, I'm not leaving because one of you makes me upset. I'm not leaving because this little thing or that little thing doesn't go the way I want. I'm here because Jesus called me here, and I'm staying until Jesus calls me to go somewhere else. Imagine a community like that. Open hands, open voices, open eyes, open hearts. Now, if we get this right, church, in the year 2023, I believe we'll be so attractive that our friends and our neighbors will be like, I would really like to be a part of something like that. So what do we do? Well, let's go back to our brave woman at the end of the rope. wonder how high she is now. I'm not sure. 25, 30,000 feet, not sure. But we left her there, hanging on the end of this rope. That poor boy is in the basket. She's trying to figure out what to do. What, what really are her options? As I see it, she has a couple options. One option is she can let go of the rope. She can give up, give up on that life. I'm not going to save that life. Probably destroy yourself in the process. Just give up. And you know, there's a lot of individual Christians doing that in the year 2023. You can call it deconstructing their faith, whatever you want to call it. There, there are people who just give up. There are people who haven't come back after COVID. Right? They're not back in their communities fellowshipping again. They've just given up. They're giving up on the mission. They're giving up on themselves. Not a good option. So I'd say don't, don't pick that option. All right, well, if you can't let go, then what's the other option? Well, she could just hang on. You know, just hang on, kind of whiten up with hang on and just hope against hope that the winds of the current of her culture will take her and this boy somewhere safe. Well, think about that with me for a second. When did the winds of our culture ever take us anywhere safe? Have you read history? Have you read like World War I? World War II, Civil War. I mean, our culture's winds never take us anywhere safe. And yet, that's an option that a lot of Christians have chosen. I'm just hanging on. Like when I talk to Christians and church leaders and pastors, hey, what's your plan for navigating this mission in 2023? I don't have one. I'm just kind of hanging on and hoping it's hope something's going to turn out. Not a very good option. Where you're like, wait a minute, Randy, if I can't let go and I can't hang on, what am I supposed to do? Have you figured it out? What if this brave woman would climb up the rope into the basket with that poor lost soul and trust the Jesus who saved her to save them both? What if, church, we actually went back to our Jerusalems? You know, that hot mess that we call our world in which we live, those people that look different, say things different, what if we go back, climb in the basket with that person God puts in our world, in our life, that needs Jesus, and we trust the Jesus who saved us to save us both? Let me pray for us. So, Father, today we thank you for your word, and thank you for the, the example of these guys willing to go back to Jerusalem. And, uh, yeah, you know, Lord, how hard it was for them, and you know how hard it is for us. 
we're in a sanctuary. We're, we're safe right now, and yet soon this church will be over. We have to go back. Holy Spirit, would you encourage us to go back as your people? People who, who know you and are willing to share you with those around us, not just with our voices, but with our lives, even in the context of this community. Lord, I pray your blessings upon us, upon Plymouth Meeting EC Church, upon the EC Church in the United States, the world, all your believers everywhere. Would you, would you rise us up, Lord, in the United States as a group of people who are willing to climb in that basket with those who are lost, to trust you, not only to save us, but to use us in helping to save them. We ask this in Jesus' name.